What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Make sure to visit SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand and subscribe to the show by going to Apple Podcasts and searching The Hangout in the Holy Land and leave a review and leave us some feedback. My name is Colton Denning and I am your host and it is Sunday, October 29th, 2017 and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. So to do that, I am joined by my co-host, my buddy, and fellow Land Grant contributor, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, have, have you recovered at all? How are you feeling today? Oh my gosh, I'm so, <laughs> I'm like emotionally drained after that game. And I, I, I don't remember the last time that an Ohio State game was like this much of a spectacle, this, this tiring, this exciting to watch. It was a it was a crazy game. Yes, it absolutely was. So Ohio State beats Penn State 39-38. to There were multiple times in this game where Ohio State was down two scores. Basically right from the jump, they were down 14 nothing. They were down 28-10 to in the second quarter. They were down 35-20 to at the start of the fourth quarter. There's so much to unpack with this game, but uh, the only place that I feel right that we start with is JT Barrett. What do you say? Uh, JT Barrett should be in the Heisman discussion. That's, I mean, <laughs> 33 of 39 for 328 yards, uh, four touchdowns, ran for another 95. I mean, when it when it came down to it, and he's done this for his entire career, when, when the team needed him most, he stepped up 13 for 13 in the fourth quarter. To, to quote a fellow, uh, I guess now former Ohio State athlete, D'Angelo Russell, JT Barrett had ice in his veins, and he was he was perfect when they needed him to be. Yeah, through eight games, JT Barrett now 25 touchdowns and one interception. People can, people can say what they want about him in terms of being an NFL prospect, and he probably won't get drafted, but um, I just don't know if we're going to have enough superlatives for JT Barrett and, and what he did yesterday and how good he's been all season. And before that final drive, one of our other contributors, Christopher Jason, said that this was a career-defining drive for JT Barrett. And uh, he was lights out, and he was magnificent, I, I think not only in the fourth quarter, but really all game. I know that he only had 96 yards passing at halftime, but you go back and, and there were two key drops by I think KJ Hill and, and one definitely by Marcus Baugh earlier in the game, which were put right on the money, would have been first downs. And it, it felt like this was going this was trending to be the game that JT Barrett kind of proved all of his doubters wrong, but Ohio State was still gonna lose and that would have been really unfortunate. Yeah, I I had a feeling going into this game just with how JT Barrett has been playing so far this season, especially after the Oklahoma loss. Um, I had a feeling he was going to have a really good game, and I, I honestly I thought that this wasn't going to be particularly close. I thought Ohio State was going to going to run away with it. I think Ohio State I thought Ohio State was the better team, and I still do think that they're probably significantly better. I think maybe two three touchdowns better if they don't make so many dumb mistakes, and we'll get we'll get into that. But he put up an excellent performance. He played probably his best game as a Buckeye, and. It's really, I, I think it's it's hard to hard to do anything but think of him as as an Ohio State legend at this point. Yeah, you actually wrote about that after the game and uh, mentioned that JT Barrett is the best quarterback in school history. And what what would you have to say to anybody that 
disagrees with that. Why? Why? <laughs> why? why I, I don't know. I, I I get why there would be people who would still kind of doubt that he's not he's not the thrower, the the deep ball thrower that a guy like Troy Smith was. He's not. You know, he's not the big numbers guy. He's not going to be an NFL guy, and that's, I mean, that's fine. He's a better leader than anyone who's ever gone to, to play at Ohio State. He's a better overall quarterback than anyone that's ever played at Ohio State, and I think that the numbers that he puts up, the way that he wins these games, and just this this shouldn't really be measured, but the the level of, of trust that, that his teammates and that even, I think, the fan base and the coaching staff when it comes down to to close games like this at the very end i i think that that's his best quality is just how calm he is and how how good he is when it matters most well what was everybody waiting for when when this game approached and we saw what ohio state's passing game had done over the last month there was a lot of talk of okay well they did that against rutgers maryland and nebraska army and unlv but how will they do it against penn state who i think was fifth and passing S&P Plus on defense heading into the game. I mean, even for me, if you would have told me that Ohio State was going to throw the ball 39 times, just based off of what we've seen in recent years, I would have thought, okay, that's probably not a recipe for success, and we're going to heap a ton of praise on JT Barrett, and rightfully so. But I think I think the passing game, the offensive line, the receivers in general, this was their time to really – step up and show that the improvement was real and they did it against a very good team and just team wide you can't help but be impressed the offensive line for the most part I thought played pretty well especially late in the game they they really protected JT Barrett in the fourth quarter and the receivers they had a couple drops Paris Campbell had the fumble but other than that I, I thought that it was overall their, their best game in a really long time KJ Hill had 12 catches for 102 yards Austin Mack looks like he is he's stepped up and he is if he's not the guy then I think that he is the second guy he is so reliable so consistent he had six catches for 90 yards with the long of 36 it, it always seems like when they need a player they need a first down JT Barrett goes to Austin Mack and he steps up Johnny Dixon had three catches for 56 yards plus the two touchdowns Marcus Baugh had the early drop but then caught two other passes for 20 yards and the game-winning touchdown. So just all in all, I, I thought a, a great day from the passing game, and this was one that they really needed and, and their chance to step up, and they did that. Yeah, and I get I get why people were, you know, kind of doubting this team for the last month and a half, you know, almost two months now, um, after the Oklahoma loss and saying, well, they're, they're, they're passing the ball well, they're playing, they're playing good offensively, but they're doing it against bad teams. And, you know, they, they, a lot of people, I think, really wanted to, to see how Ohio State would do against a good team like Penn State. And, I mean, I think that this was probably the best offensive performance they've had this season, just total. Like, even though that they didn't, even though they didn't score as much as they had against teams like Maryland or Rutgers, I mean, there was, I think, two punts in this game. I think Ohio State punted twice. There was the there was the two fumbles. But outside of that, this offense was completely unstoppable. They Penn State couldn't do anything. This is a very good Penn State defense, and they, they had no answer to really anything Ohio State did, be it running or passing. And I I just, if there are still, if there are still people who are, you know, saying, okay, well, now do it 
do it in a championship game, do it in a Big Ten championship game, do it in a playoff on the big stage. I really like I don't know why there'd be any reason to think that Ohio State and JT Barrett couldn't do that. I I don't see any reason to think that Ohio State can't you know dunk on Wisconsin fans or whoever they play in the Big Ten championship or Michigan or whatever the fate for this team is. I, I don't see any reason to to think that that every game from here on out isn't winnable for this team. To put in perspective just how impressive their offensive performance was against that Penn State defense, their 6.7 yards per play yesterday is the most that a Penn State defense has allowed since Ohio State put up 8.9 on them in that 64 to 13 win in 2013. So that I think goes to show how impressive they were in there were some mistakes in there. There were some questionable, I, I think, maybe not play calls, but coaching in general that I, that we'll get into and I want to get your opinion on and, and hear from the listeners about. But um, just overall, a, a really awesome day for the offense. They still were able to run the ball when they needed to. That's something that I don't think any of us really talked about yesterday or today in what I've read about the uh, game, but Barrett ran when he needed to. He picked up some big first downs. J.K. Dobbins was awesome yet again. Short yardage. Uh, Mike Weber was really good. He had the goal line touchdown, so it wasn't just the passing game. The uh, the rush offense was able to do that thing as well. Yeah, there I, I do have some, maybe not concerns, but questions about the the game plan coming in because as good as Barrett was, J.K. Dobbins was just as good running the ball, and it felt like after the first quarter he completely disappeared and that's just not a good strategy i don't it ended up working out and it didn't end up hurting the offense because they were able to do pretty much whatever they wanted but i just i don't understand going away from from a guy as good as jk dobbins is um and there was some speculation that he was hurt and maybe there's some truth to that i don't i don't know but with with as as good as he is and as much success as he was having on this defense it's just it's hard to think that that you know that that that's not one of the best possible game plans is just feeding him because he's so talented and he's so capable of of ripping off big plays and first downs consistently. Let, let's talk about that because I caught some shit on Twitter for putting out on our account the the tweet was uh, shout out to all the Ohio State players for overcoming and being able to win that game despite some of the most exceptionally poor coaching you'll ever see, and that's just my own opinion on that and that is partly because of of what happened on offense and forgetting essentially about jk dobbins for the whole second quarter i don't think he had a single touch and then we saw him right there in the third quarter get some run but other than that there was also the decision to kick to saquon barkley to start the game you know you already have a kickoff coverage unit which is one of the worst in the country and has made mistake after mistake for the last month and to start the game by just deciding not only are we going to kick off to a dangerous kick returner but a guy who's probably the best player in the country and he takes it to to the house they can blame that on personnel all they want but uh to me that just comes back to coaching and I thought that that was a really poor decision to start off the game and then one thing that really irked a lot of people was the decision to throw a bunch of swing passes to Mike Weber and I, we can break down that as well and, and Kevin Wilson kind of 
talked about the philosophy behind going horizontal, and I was fine with throwing out wide to the receivers, but uh, the swing passes to Mike Weber and and some of the other things we saw, I thought the coaches really put the players in a tough position to win this game, and not, they're, they're not a bad coaching staff by any means. I don't want anybody to confuse what I'm saying, but I, I thought that the players really covered for the coaches' mistakes yesterday. I, I tweeted out, I'll say probably third quarter-ish, um, that so, something along the lines of this is the dumbest great coaching staff I've ever seen. Um, they just, it felt like for the entirety of this game, they could not get out of their own way with both play calls, game planning stuff, obviously kickoff stuff. Like, there, it, it's rare. It's rare that it gets to a point where like, special teams is the number one issue for a team. But like, I I spent 15 minutes hollering about how they should just kick the ball out of the bound, out of bounds and take the penalty. And that's a, I mean, that's awful. That's so bad that you have to do that to to avoid giving up a 60 yard return to a linebacker, like, or you know, or a touchdown to start off the game. And just the there are so there were so many mistakes made by by just awful coaching and it's just i like after the game and you you touched on this a little bit kevin wilson talked about the the setup of that of the game-winning touchdown pass to uh to marcus ball and how that was established by the horizontal passing game which was the it was the screens that had set that up and that's that's fine it's fine to set up play action to set up a big play like that and Obviously, it worked out, but a swing passes to Mike Weber. I think that there were five of them for nine total yards, um, and the long was nine, so I think every other play was a loss. So there, there were six total, six targets, and it was he lost five, incomplete pass, nine-yard gain, loss of seven, <laughs> nine-yard gain, three and three yards. So six targets, Oof. five catches, nine yards, and I, I think we're, we're both on the same page here that we don't mind those swing passes out wide. They ran one to Dobbins in the second half that lost a yard too. It's just that if you're going to do that, why, why are you doing it to Mike yeah. Weber? Because you not only, okay, you want to set something up, but you know, you're know you setting something up by losing five yards. That doesn't seem like the most yeah. ideal strategy. So that's, I think, what people's main main issue with that is. is like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Go horizontal. And they had a lot of really nice plays to K.J. Hill – on those kind of bubble screen plays, that's where he gained a lot of his yardage. But uh, when you're doing that to Mike Weber, it just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it feels unfair to Mike Weber because that's just not his. Yeah, game. it's not yeah, his it's ball. Like there was a play I remember distinctly. I don't know if it was a swing route, but he he caught the ball. He was on the outside. This might have been that three yard gain. Um, and he he tried to jump over a dude, and he got flipped and landed on his head. And it was really gross to look at, and did not look particularly fun for for Mike Weber and it's just that's not his game don't do that to him he should not open space is not his forte he he needs to be running between the tackles he needs to be making plays with his physicality not being put out to the outside and there are so many talented players on this team be it KJ Hill or before the injury I, I think Paris Campbell was was out for for the game yesterday if I remember right after after that fumble with an injury but before that injury Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, all these guys, obviously J.K. Dobbins, all these guys are capable of catching the ball on swing routes or screen routes and playing horizontally, playing in open space. It just it does not make any sense to me. It's completely baffling that they continue to use the power back on on horizontal swing passes. And it's just it's just another one of those, you know, like, why, why, why would you do that? That's just 
personnel issues seem to be a consistent problem for this team in big games. So that play you mentioned, uh, the the Weber where, play where he fell right on his head, that was on that second and 23 that he gained nine yards on, and that was after uh, in the third quarter when they threw the they got a first down to, I think, either Baugh or K.J. Hill, and they got called back for holding, and then they got to delay a game. So they had a first and 25, and they threw a, another one of those swing routes or bubble screen to K.J. Hill for two yards, and then they threw it to Mike Weber on the dump off, and then they threw another swing to K.J. Hill. So there were definitely some times there that – you know, didn't make a lot of sense. And and my final thing on the coaching before we talk about the other really great things that happened in this game was that in the post-game press conference, Meyer talked about how he wasn't going to take questions about uh, what happened to the kick coverage unit. And he mentioned that there's going to be some big changes to personnel on kickoff. And just looking at some of the players on the field there, it doesn't seem like it's the usual host of former Four and, and five star guys. I know there's still those type of players on there. I think I saw Justin Hilliard and a couple other guys on kickoff, but I really don't think their problem right now is personnel so much as it is strategy because this is a recurring theme that we have seen over the course of the year, and, and their strategy more so than the actual personnel seems like it's the problem right now. Yeah, and you, um, you touch. We didn't even get into squibbing that last kick on the 40 yard yeah, line. We... Like I was so baffled that I wasn't even angry. I was just like, what, what the hell was that? Yeah. Why? I, Why? The, we, we hit a ground ball directly to the third baseman with a two minutes left and just nonsensical. But, um, you, you touched on the, the, the press conference after the game and, and Urban Meyer not answering questions about the kick coverage that, I mean, why, why wouldn't he answer questions about that? That's like, I I get that like that's something that you know they they need to fix. But how many times have we heard this year that they're going to fix it? Like, there's there's a freshman kicker on this team who's on scholarship. There's there's another option. Why why use a scholarship on him if you're not going to play him? Why why have two scholarship kickers when neither of them can do a kickoff right? That doesn't. I don't get it. You could be using that. You could be using those scholarships on other guys if you're not going to go out and get a kicker who can kick a kickoff. That's a question he should have to answer. I, I just, for for as good as this team is, they shouldn't have to win in spite of coaching. And when it comes down to the special teams is giving up, you know, uh, is giving up a touchdown, giving up great field position consistently. That's unfair to these players, and there there should be fixes for that because other teams don't have these issues. Saying that they're going to fix the kicking game is the new fixing the passing <laughs> game. Now, now that now that the passing game is roaring and ready to go, that's that's the new thing. Um, let's talk about kind of our mindset or our mind state from the start of this game to the middle of the game to the end of the game because we mentioned earlier they got down fourteen nothing just right off the drop of the hat. They Penn State scored on the literally the first play of the game with that kick return. Paris Campbell fumbled on what the third play, and they were able to make it fourteen nothing really quick. And then they fell down twenty eight to ten, and then thirty five to twenty in the fourth quarter. Did you ever feel like this game was out of reach? No, I mean there was there were times where I was like, I think very early on I was concerned that it was just going to be a complete blowout, but. As it continued on in Ohio State, you know, stuck in the game, scored consistently, was matching whatever Penn State was doing. 
I I kept going back to to the fact that Ohio State's just a more talented team in terms of recruiting talent, in terms of just the players, the depth on this team. I knew that when it came down to it, Ohio State would have the advantage in the second half and then in the fourth quarter, and they did. And um, obviously, we, we talked quite a bit about how good JT Barrett is. But in games like this, I really... I I personally can't count out Ohio State in big games with JT Barrett at quarterback. I, I know some people, some people do, and that's that's their choice, whatever. But in in big games, he's so good when it comes down to the end, and this team is so good when it comes down to the end that consistently, I I can't I can't doubt this team until it's you know, four four score game in the fourth quarter, and it was never that. So um, after the after the early fourth quarter fumble on a kind of just a bad zone read play, uh, I was certainly concerned. And I think if Penn State had had driven down and, and scored a touchdown there instead of, I think they got a field goal. Um, I don't think they got anything on that drive. I, I, I'd have to look at it. Uh, yeah, they punted on that drive. Yeah, they punted. But there was a there was another drive after Ohio State had had thrown a big touchdown pass to Johnny Dixon I think it was 38 yards cut it to uh 35 27 Penn State drove down and they were right on the on the three if they had scored a touchdown there I would have been very concerned because there was about five minutes left but uh that was I think about as close as I got to to feeling that the game was over was that the fumble and then the the drive that ultimately ended in a field goal yeah the fumble and the uh that second drive you're alluding to the third and 12 or third and 13 completion to Mike Gusecki where he made that play against either Damon Webb or, or Damon Arnett. It was an incredible, you know, comeback for the ball, but Ohio State's defense was able to hold him to a field goal. I never felt like the game was over as well. I There was definitely a couple moments where it was like, ooh, this, this thing isn't looking good. But this was kind of the first time, for me at least, in a while in these big games where I, I didn't think the game was over. And that's where I, I think the difference in this game was – than Penn State last well not Penn State last year but Oklahoma this season the Clemson game and even the Michigan game last season because Ohio State completely outplayed Penn State yesterday they outgained them by a huge margin they had a massive yards per play advantage it always felt like man if they're if they're not stepping on their own toes they should be winning this game and they outplayed them. And I don't, that wasn't the case in the Oklahoma game because even in the third quarter, it kind of felt like, man, Oklahoma's outplayed them all game. Like this thing's really close to slipping out of reach, even though the score was a lot closer in the Clemson game. Obviously they got destroyed from the get go that they didn't even belong on the same field. And then even the Michigan game last season where they won, I felt a greater sense of dread just because Michigan outplayed Ohio State and it felt like to me that you know Michigan deserved to win that game but even when Ohio State was down 35 to 20 yesterday I still kind of felt like you know they they deserve to be in this game and they deserve to at least have a chance to win with the way that they are playing and going back to the coaching the way that the players are kind of keeping them in this game despite what they're being given by the coaches so I felt like this was a really awesome showcase in the second half for the uh, for the team. Yeah, a similar similar vein, but I, I was just thinking about this. Um, at what point do you think this this game felt the most, I guess, bleak for Ohio State, where it just it felt like nothing was 
nothing was going their way. It just it felt like it was just one of those games because I, I have a specific, a very vivid memory of exactly where I was like, wasn't even really upset about it. It just felt kind of hopeless. And I think that there were a couple moments like that in this game. And uh, I, I would just like to get your your opinion on what, what point of the game was kind of the most like, uh, shit, here we go again. The fumble would be the easy answer. But to me, it was going back to that holding penalty. I forget who it was on, but Barrett completed that 15, 20-yard pass to KJ Hill, and it got called back. And then they showed that replay, or they showed Barrett's face, <laughs> and he was looking over at the sideline. And that's it, it. It felt like to me that was the most hopeless. Not only because it was like, man, this is another mistake, but I think it magnified the fact that. Barrett was doing everything that he could and having this huge game. And people have been saying like, can JT Barrett win a big game? Can he finally step up? And here he was, you know, playing his ass off, making plays for them, not only throwing the ball, but running as well. And everything around him was kind of just crumbling down. And it just felt like, man, he's going to have an awesome game and the team's going to lose anyway. So that, that to me was like where it just felt like the most hopeless. Yeah. My, my answer is it was a little earlier on. It was the, um, the third quarter, the, the last touchdown Penn State scored, the uh, the pass into the end zone where Retrace McSorley basically just threw up a prayer, and Denzel Ward picked the ball off, and it it, it was counted as an interception, and it got overturned because it was a simultaneous catch, um, and it was, I mean, I went back, I watched, I rewatched the game today, um, I've rewatched that play a number of times and Penn State's receiver never caught the ball, <laughs> and it was still, it was just like at that point. I wasn't even, it was just like, ah, there's, it felt like everything was, everything was going wrong and Penn State was getting every bounce and it was just, it was almost kind of funny with how, how much Penn State fans, and I don't know how much you've seen this, but during the week, Penn State fans spent pretty much the entire week priming a loss by saying that it was the ref's fault, like, <laughs> uh, they, they were complaining about John O'Neill and his staff being the being the referee group for this game. And that was the same staff that worked the, the 2015 game. And um, it just, at that point, it really, that, that play was just such a bummer. And it was, it was such a good play by Denzel Ward. And it ended up going against the Buckeyes. And it just, I, I don't know. And it, it ended up obviously not mattering a ton, but it, it felt kind of emblematic or it, it felt like it represented the way that the game had gone to that point where it was it was almost almost so good for Ohio State and it was just kind of didn't go their way 50-50 ball went Penn State's way and that was how the first three quarters really felt yeah i don't have too many strong takes on that uh, that play in particular i can see why they called it a touchdown just because if you rule it dual possession i thought they went about a weird way of doing it. And I think that when you look at that slow-mo replay, your inclination is, oh, he has the ball against his chest. But live speed, he had the ball against his chest for like a quarter of a second. And then Ward was able to pull it away. And the first thing I thought was like, man, Ohio State needs to stop playing on Fox so Denzel Ward <laughs> can just make a play and it not be called back. But then he finally got his redemption for uh, with Gus Johnson with that pump block. So Denzel Ward is a name that's gotten lost in the shuffle. But whenever... There's a play to be made in the secondary. Seems like Denzel Ward is around the football and making a big hit, and he is uh, he's really stepped up for the defense. And before we talk about the defense, while we're on the subject of officiating, 
I didn't think it was the best officiated game. I'm, I'm certainly not going to get on this podcast and say that the officials were biased towards <laughs> yeah. Penn State because I, I don't think that that's true at all. I just don't think it was officiated very well. I had a bigger problem with uh, the pass interference on Damon Arnett in the end zone on that Damon Webb interception. That was an absolutely garbage-ass call. That should have been an interception. And at that point, the game was 21-10, to 10, and uh, there was eight minutes left in the second quarter. I think that was when McSorley scored in the corner of the end zone to make it 28-10. to 10. And I, I thought that if, if they probably call that pick without pass interference there, then Ohio State mounts the comeback earlier. But to me, that was probably the, uh, the worst call of the game. The face mask on Sam Hubbard was pretty light as well when they called that so I didn't think the officiating was particularly good but I don't think it was biased towards Penn State there's definitely a couple things but let's get into the defense because the offense is getting a ton of love they scored 39 points on Penn State you know they did what they did in the passing game but Ohio State's defense and in particular the defensive line really stepped up and even though Penn State scored 38 points I can't. I, I don't know how you cannot say that this wasn't an awesome performance from the defense. Yeah, I mean the the defense really I don't think can be blamed for the for the 38 that Penn State put up. Obviously, seven of those came off of the 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 kickoff return at the start of the game. A number of of touchdowns and points in general came off of just fantastic field position that Penn State was basically gifted by either bad special teams or. It just you know, Paris Campbell's fumble. Yeah, Paris Campbell's fumble, JT Barrett's fumble. Um, Penn State had good field position all night. Um, but the defense in general, especially late in the game and in the fourth quarter, we'll, we'll talk about just how dominant the defensive line was in the last four minutes. Uh, but they, they stepped up. They looked like a really deep, talented unit, which is exactly what they are. And despite some kind of just silly mistakes on on long third downs letting trace mcsorley kind of run all over the place and some some bad coverage on a really talented tight end uh outside of that the defense was was phenomenal saquon barkley had one good run for the entire game and i i don't remember what the exact stat was but he lost yards on like nine yeah nine of his um Nine of his car- yeah, carries. Yeah, nine of his twenty-one carries. He lost yards, and that's all defensive line. That's all front seven. Um, and it just the the defensive backfield was. I think the defensive backfield was excellent. I mean, I I really hadn't like watching the game. It, it never really came up. I don't think, but I don't remember a ton of of you know, Penn State receivers making any kind of big plays it, it seemed like outside of the, the touchdown the simultaneous catch touchdown it seemed like the defensive back was just excellent the defensive back play was just excellent and Denzel Ward uh Damon Arnett Jordan Fuller who had probably the game of his career this is a Jordan Fuller appreciation podcast now yeah this is yeah Jordan Fuller fan account <laughs> um nine tackles uh one for a loss he he was great he he chased down Trace McSorley a couple times and saved big plays and the just the defensive backs the defense as a whole outside of a few bad plays were just excellent and they were exactly what they needed them to be yeah 13 total tackles for loss for the defense and like you said everybody got involved whether it was from the defensive line or the linebackers Jerome Baker had a really nice game after I think struggling in the first half he finished with seven tackles four solo half tackle for loss he had a really nice play in space against Barkley Jordan Fuller had that tackle against Barkley on the third down you had Sam Hubbard who stepped up he 
tackled both Barkley and McSorley on one of those zone <laughs> replays late in the game. He had one and a half tackles for loss. Robert Landers, who's been quiet for Big Bob yeah, Landers. Big Bob Landers. Man. <laughs> After uh, it, four or five weeks of not really doing much, he stepped up late in the game and had two big tackles for loss, including that, that third and goal play, which held Penn State to a field goal and kept the game still in reach late in the game. So you, you can look up and down this defense and give props to everybody. And a name that gets lost in the shuffle, I think, when we're talking about the success of Ohio State in the program is defensive line coach Larry Johnson. And he's not only a great recruiter, but year in and year out, and we've seen it back when he was Penn State's defensive line coach for all those years too, he is able to manage all of these guys, all of this talent, rotate them in and out, and get the most out of them. And, and he's a real, I think, un, unsung hero of how good this program is. And Ohio State's defensive line, there, there's not a defensive award out there for like best defensive line. or But <laughs> but if there's an individual award for defensive linemen, the whole Ohio State defensive line should win it <laughs> because they, just as a unit, they're awesome. Jalen Holmes, too, had made some incredible plays. He had the tackle for loss. On Penn State, yeah, or the sack. sack on that last drive, yeah. And that last drive for Penn State really illustrated, I think, and was a, a microcosm of, of what this game was because they decided to squib the ball and give Penn State the ball not only on the 40 yard line, but with three timeouts and the best player in the country with a one point being down one point. You know, you have to go, what, 30 yards and kick a game winning field goal. And the defensive line was just like, nope, not going to happen. We're going to make sure that you guys not only don't go anywhere, but that you lose yards too. And when they needed them most, the defensive line closed the game out and, and showed that when they need to make a play, they will. And, and that's where I think whether it's a Big Ten championship game or playoff national championship, you know, I feel comfortable with this defense on the field late in the game and needing to make a stop because they go 10 deep on the defensive line, and when they know that a team is going to have to throw the ball, they're going to get after the quarterback. One thing that I think kind of went under the radar a little bit on that last drive, one of the plays that was, it wasn't a sack, it wasn't a big incompletion, wasn't the fourth down play, it was a first down play. Penn State rolled out and tried to throw to Saquon Barkley, and Chris Worley was just glued to his hip. He knocked the ball away. The the degree of difficulty for a linebacker to stick with Saquon Barkley for any amount of time is incredibly high, and Chris Worley was was tasked for much of the yeah he was tasked for much of the game with with covering Barkley in the passing game, and he did a phenomenal job. I mean, all all credit to Chris Worley. He he played a he played an excellent game, and if it wasn't for the good coverage on that play, Penn State might have might have gotten a first down, might have you know, been a very different outcome in this game. But I, I mean, at the end of the game, and I, I was listening to um, the, the Urban Meyer press conference, and one of the things that he said that I thought was really interesting was that uh, the defensive coaches in the in the press box, and Larry Johnson included, obviously, were, were trying to decide what to do on the last couple of drives. And they they stopped giving uh, they stopped giving assignments to the defensive linemen that were on the field. They stopped telling them to you know to stunt or to do any specific thing. They just told them to play football and they just told them to go out and you know go out and win the game essentially. And that's how talented this defense is, and that's how talented this defensive line is. That they can go out and just just overpower uh, the number two team in the country. And obviously, Penn State is not 
the best offensive line driven team in the country, but that's a legitimate that's a legitimate offense. It's one of the best offenses in the country, and this defensive line completely shut them down when it mattered most. And that's just I mean, there's I don't think that there's very many teams in the country that could that could do that. And it's just huge performance when they needed it from from the defensive line from the team as a whole a couple of other names that I just want to get shout outs to that weren't big on the stat sheet but they were in Penn State's backfield all game Draymond Jones had a huge game despite only having one tackle for loss and Tracy Sprinkle especially in the first half he was everywhere so up and down Ohio State's defensive line you can't really say enough about how awesome those guys were and just the defense in general I also like looking at the stat sheet and seeing that JT Barrett not only did everything on the ground and through the air but he also made a tackle on uh, <laughs> on that Paris Campbell fumble and helped save a touchdown even though Penn State scored anyway so I, I think when we talk about complete games from Ohio State and it's odd to say that when you win by one point and you make a ton of mistakes and you give up 38 points this was one of the more complete games you'll see against a really good team with an offensive coordinator in Joe Moorhead that knows how to scheme. And you saw, I think, the talent difference between Penn State and Ohio State, I won't say is still really significant, but it's there and there's a gap. And the players proved that yesterday. Yeah, and I saw, speaking of speaking of Joe Moorhead, I saw... Uh, some Penn State fans calling for him to be fired. Man, what? Yes, please, please. Yeah, go, fire go Joe Moorhead. Get his ass fire, yeah. out of Penn State yeah. immediately. Go ahead. Fire Joe Moorhead. What What in the world are they talking about? Don't, like, Joe Moorhead is not the issue here. Recruit better. That's Penn State's number one issue. Recruit better, and then you'll win games like this. That's, Ohio State's a more talented team. Ohio State's a more, they're, they're a deeper team. Even when the coaching took away what would have been probably a two touchdown talent advantage Ohio State was that much better and dumb mistakes aside dumb coaching aside the talented teams win football games Ohio State is the more talented team and I think it's fair to say that they are in the top two in level of talent uh you know in the country it's Ohio State and Alabama and everybody else and that's how it's been that's how it's going to continue to be. And as long as they can stay out of their way, there's not a team on this schedule who can who can beat Ohio State with talent. And when they play their game, when JT Barrett plays his game, when the defense is as on as they were, I, I don't think that there's a team in the country that can beat this team. We'll save this for an off-season podcast when we talk about Penn State, but I have a pretty strong feeling that uh, when Saquon Barkley gets to the NFL and Joe Moorhead probably takes a head coaching job, this offseason I don't think that Penn State's going to fall off a cliff but uh, I think that Penn State fans are going to be in for quite a shock offensively next season when Moorhead and and Barkley leave I feel like we've talked about most of the stuff we touched on the special teams touched on Ohio State coming back but I want to swing this around and and talk about JT Barrett again (laughs) before we get out of here because the fourth quarter 13 to 13 170 yards three touchdowns And I I was too young, and this is what I'm going to equate it to, and this will probably get some people upset, but, you know, whatever. Um, When Michael Jordan and the Bulls played the Blazers in the finals, and I'm referring to the game where he hit, what, six three-pointers, however many three-pointers, and it kind of just felt like he couldn't miss, 
and it kept building and building and building. And then there was this crescendo and then he hit the three and did the shrug. To me, this felt like the football version of that because <laughs> every time Ohio state had the ball, it felt like J- JT's not going to miss. He, and he just kept not missing and not missing and making these great throws. And then right before the play to ball, it was like, it just felt like the stadium knew like he's about to throw a touchdown here and he just placed the ball right over that linebacker's head, and that was like the crescendo, and everything burst, and it was just like, boom, that's the moment. And to me, that's that's what it felt like, that you just had this transcendent performance in one quarter, and he was just so on and in another zone, and that was just the perfect play to kind of cap off what he's done and really what his career's been at Ohio State. Yeah, and I, I, I tweeted about this before the before the drive, the, there was about four minutes left. Penn State had just gotten the ball back after a, another Johnny Dixon touchdown, and I I tweeted and I had essentially convinced myself into you know if Ohio State gets a stop here and gets the ball back with any amount of time, they're going to win the game. Um, just because like you know like you said, it just felt like J T. Barrett was you know he was he was NBA Jam on fire. He was just like he was going to make every throw that, that he that he tried he was going to get the team down the field no matter what it took penn state's defense was tired he was just just picking them apart like there were some throws not on the final drive but on the drive that that cut the score to um that cut the that cut the score to five where the space that he threw the ball into was the size of the ball like <laughs> there was there was a number of of throws in the fourth quarter where there was no room for error and he put the ball in the only place that it could be where it wouldn't be an incompletion or even an interception. There was a throw to Austin Mack that was like that. There was a throw to K.J. Hill that was like that. He was as perfect as you could possibly be. And just that that last drive, I knew, I think most people knew, the stadium certainly knew, um, he wasn't going to... He was not going to go off the field without a touchdown, and that's just—it's unbelievably special, and it's—it's it's such a such a great great thing to be able to watch watch Ohio State with a guy like J.T. Barrett at the helm, and to be able to to live during the time and and be a fan of Ohio State during the time that the best quarterback to play in Columbus is you know is playing, and to see that happen, it's just that's something that that we'll look back on you know 20 30 years from now and think you, you that was unbelievable that was an all-time performance and really it's it's hard to say enough about just just how impressive that was and and how how much he did for this team yesterday and how much he has done for the entirety of his career here he also on that uh second to last drive had a throw to Terry McLaurin that was on an out route where he it just seems like an innocuous throw that, like, oh, he threw a guy wide open and got him 15 yards and a first down. But if you go back and watch the ball placement and leading McLaurin and getting him seven or eight extra yards, that's not something we've seen a lot from Barrett. And that just kind of encapsulated, like, man, this guy is in the, he's in the zone right now. Before we wrap this up, uh, looking ahead – Ohio State has Iowa next week on the road, 3.30 game, Michigan State, Illinois, and at Michigan to close the season. After this win, I I felt a lot differently about this 
than I did like say after the Michigan game last year because the Michigan game was okay you beat whatever the second or third ranked team in the country you're probably going to go to the playoff but at least for me in the back of my mind it was like they're going to get stomped by whoever they play against the playoff they have way too many flaws and to me this felt a lot different this felt a lot more like the Michigan State win in 2014 where it was like okay this is exactly what this team needed they're going to roll through the rest of the season I could see them having a little bit of a letdown in the first half against Iowa next week but uh just looking at the rest of this schedule, especially after Michigan State lost to Northwestern yesterday, not that they're going to roll over everybody because, as we've seen in college football, anything can happen, but um, they should be able to win these last four games and feel pretty good about themselves, barring any sort of major injuries as they head into what's likely looking like, at the very least, a chance to win the Big Ten title. Yeah, stay stay healthy, stay out of your own way, um, continue to, to go to what works, which is... You know, JT Barrett, J.K. Dobbins, trust the defense. Um, God, fix the special teams. That's that's the most <laughs> yeah, important that, that, thing. That's the yeah, main problem right now. Fix the special teams so that Iowa doesn't score 38 points on you because you keep giving them the ball at the 20. Like, just, it's, that's the number one issue for this team. That's very, that that's, I mean, that's certainly better than what the number one issue was for the team last year, which was that they couldn't play offense. The special teams, just fix the special teams. That's what I'm worried about right now. Um, in a stadium like Kinnick, you know, at Iowa, I'm glad that isn't a night game because that's, like, that's rough. That would have been scary. But that's the kind of place where special teams' mistakes will, will do weird things, and you'll have eight of them, and all eight of them will result in kickoff returns for touchdowns. So just, like... They that's the number one thing right now. And I, I would agree with you in saying that this is this is a very confident team. This is as confident as I've felt about this team since that Michigan State win in twenty fourteen. And they they they've done nothing to 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 make me make me doubt them offensively or defensively. I don't know how much the stats will change after this past week, but Iowa comes into next week's game against Ohio State. 24th or 23rd in special oh, no. teams S&P plus with the they're 24th in kick return success rate and second in punt return success rate so that could absolutely be an issue and if there's one thing that that can knock this team off it'll be that special teams play so that is definitely the uh the number one issue as we head into this final portion of the season Patrick any last any last words about what we saw yesterday we're not going to be able to hit everything like i'm sorry if we missed anything we'd have to podcast probably for like three hours to get everything about this game but i feel like we kind of hit everything only final thoughts i have are put jt barrett in in new york at the end of the season he's there there's one quarterback in the country who's comparable to him and that's baker mayfield in terms of ability to throw ability to run and ability to play in the clutch while still winning games and that's not to say that's not to slight a guy like Lamar Jackson who I think is the most talented player in the country not named Saquon Barkley um put JT Barrett in the Heisman discussion he deserves to be there uh and it's hard to imagine this is something that I touched on a little bit in my my um JT Barrett is good piece uh it's it's hard to imagine that if if Ohio State gets another shot at Oklahoma, that JT Barrett wouldn't win that, wouldn't win that duel against Baker Mayfield. And there's really, 
I don't think that there's a quarterback or a team in the country playing as well as Ohio State is right now. As we said earlier, 25 touchdowns, one interception. Barrett is tied for third nationally in touchdowns. Even if, and I know that we thought this would be a big season for for Barrett before the season. I told Matt that I thought that Barrett was going to go to New York and be in in that Heisman discussion and be a finalist. I don't think anybody could have dreamed uh, the season that he'd be having right now, that Oklahoma game notwithstanding. And as we've seen from Ohio State teams in the past, that may end up being the the best thing for them to lose that game the way they did. But uh, as of right now, if Ohio State keeps rolling, I I don't think that – that that Heisman ceremony is going to go off without Barrett being there. Yeah, this is this is a really fun team. It's uh, JT Barrett is is Ohio State's quarterback for at least four more games guaranteed, and that's I mean, I think that as a fan base, just as a whole, we need to enjoy that. Yeah, and, and everybody that was waiting for Ohio State to beat somebody and was like, I'll. Check check in with me when Ohio State beats somebody with a pulse. Like, welcome to the season. Welcome to Ohio State football. <laughs> yeah. Glad to have you guys back. Uh, we'll have to fill you in on what happened over the last month and a half. But uh, you guys saw what happened yesterday. Uh, this is a really fun team. Hope you guys enjoy watching them this season. <laughs> yeah, Ohio State, I mean, despite literally giving Penn State a three-quarter head start, still dunked on Penn State. Like, Ohio State beat somebody good there. The, the Twitter commenters can... They can have that. JT Barrett beat somebody good, and he beat the hell out of them. Like, it's just the season started now, I guess. Ohio State's one and one, apparently. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up this podcast on that note. Make sure to go to soundcloud.com slash holy and find this episode and all the other old episodes. Please be sure to subscribe to the show. The best way to grow the show which we're trying to do right now you guys have been great the last couple of weeks is to subscribe to the show tweet it out to people tell people about it we're trying to be the best ohio state podcast on the internet so make sure to go to apple podcasts and search the hangout in the holy land subscribe leave a review leave us some feedback tell us what we can do to make this show better even if it's criticism that any feedback is much appreciated. You can also send me a tweet at Dubsco. Tell me what you think about the show. Do we need to improve the sound quality? Whatever it may be, we want to make this the best Ohio State podcast on the internet. Also interact with us at landgrantholyland.com and follow us on Twitter at landgrant33. Patrick, where can they reach you? The people can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, spelled how it sounds. Uh, I spent 30 minutes talking about how good JT Barrett is yesterday in all caps. So... It's the same as this podcast in text form. <laughs> we're JT Barrett fans here at the site, and we've, we've caught a lot of flack from everybody the last month, and we're not going to sit here and tell everybody we're right because we want you guys to appreciate JT Barrett and Ohio State football too. We all just want to enjoy this together. That's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. The spot was good. Ohio State is good. JT Barrett, he's damn sure good. He's great. And this is The Hangout in the Holy Land.